0: Welcome to Dugout Therapy, a baseball podcast about the mental game built by Coach Graves. If you're looking to succeed both on and off the field, this is the place for you.
1: There's a zoo tiger and a jungle tiger. So the zoo tiger, he's in a cage, so he's got safety. The trainers bring him food every day, they bring him water. So like outside looking in, it seems like, man, he's got it made, he doesn't have to do anything for himself. But then he's let out into the wild. So the jungle tiger's out there, that guy, he's watching over his back every day. If he's hungry, he's gotta go get the food. If he wants water, he's gotta go find it. So kind of equating that to baseball, like which guy is better prepared for game day, okay? Or the jungle, the guy who's been in this like comfy little environment, where nothing's uncomfortable or the one who's kind of had to have these jungle tiger reps every day
2: hey guys welcome to dugout therapy i'm here with my co-host quinn adams and a super cool guest today uh ryan fuller from fuller hitting over on instagram FullerHitting.com. um quinn ryan how you guys doing
1: doing great happy to be here thanks for having me let's
2: Let's go go. Cool. Yeah. Ryan, I, I've been a big follower of your account. Like like what you're doing. I think you bring a, a cool side of training to uh, to how hitters feel different things uh, with different drills, at least from my playing career. Uh, I really like how you, you teach the feel side of things. We'll get into the nitty gritty and I don't want to get too excited here. But before we get underway, you want to give all of our listeners a little background on your baseball story and kind of
1: how you got started with this? Yeah, you got it. So I'm from a small town in Connecticut. I grew up just loving baseball more than anything else. And it was just, you know, playing in the backyard. Amen, amen. Yeah, playing <laughs> high school and kind of just seeing like, all right, baseball is definitely the route I want to take. And then I was lucky enough to get some opportunities at a high school. I played at a junior college, which looking back on it was probably the best decision I ever made in the moment. I was kind of really disappointed. All my other buddies were playing D1 and that obviously... Mm-hmm was the goal, but I went to UConn Avery Point, a great program right down the road from me in Connecticut. And I played for a coach, Roger Bidwell, who's in the Hall of Fame now. And just a mm-hmm. coach would challenged me like crazy. I thought it was pretty good coming out of high school and then figured out like, man, there's a lot more to this than, you know, just going in the backyard and hitting a little bit. So totally mm-hmm. changed my framework as a player and what I needed to do to develop and. Luckily, I got that opportunity to play Division One baseball after two years of junior college. I played at the University of Connecticut, and I just went in at like a perfect time in terms of the players who were in that program. George Springer, obviously on the Astros, Nick Ahmed, <laughs> and the Diamondbacks, wow. just like a loaded team. So that obviously, like, totally pushed my development even more, seeing those guys and the work ethic that mm-hmm. they had, pushing me to the next level, and then after my senior year, I got the opportunity to sign with the Diamondbacks. I played with them for a year, got a taste of pro ball. And then right Mm -hmm. after that, I mean, everybody always said, you know, you're going to be a coach. You're great working with kids. So I went that route. I've coached division one baseball, AAU high school. And for the past eight years, I've been working on the private side too, out of power and training in Niantic, Connecticut. So a facility out of there. And it's just been a a constant obsession of figuring out the swing. And I wouldn't say probably three years ago is when I kind of hammered down saying like, all right, you know, for the most part, I've just been teaching what I was taught, kind of just being like figure it out and then Mm -hmm. just kind of digging in saying like, man, I've been doing it totally wrong. So figuring Mm -hmm. out there's so much more that goes into it. So it's been an awesome ride.
2: Yeah, I think a lot, at least for me too, like at the end of college, I really started getting into how I was training for hitting, and then now on the coaching side. But I just re- looked back, and I was like, I everything I thought was true <laughs> was not really true. And I've kind of gone through that journey myself on on the coaching side now. Like, as and and through this podcast, just talking to so many different people, like there is so much more to to hitting and to to baseball than I I learned at least growing up. And and I'm i loving the ride of learning all this stuff. So. I'm, super excited to, to kind of hear your experience, um, you know, as you kind of flip things on its head and and learn more about hitting and everything.
1: Yeah, so much more goes into it than just mechanics. I mean, it's like rabbit hole after rabbit hole. You go down, it's like, all right, how about like acquiring skills? So you go down the skill acquisition route. Okay, how about like actually like teaching a drill? So, okay, I got to go down the motor learning path. Like it's just so much deeper than like, oh, the swing looks good, you know the, the mental side of it, which you guys are working on. So it's mm-hmm. it's so much and it's never ending, but it's like what keeps you coming back.
2: Mm. Okay, so maybe you, let's start with you know how did you kind of start uh, power and training? How did you first develop you know your programs there and, and start working with athletes?
1: Yeah, so I, I've been doing like private instruction for probably eight years now. Okay. And two years ago, I had got the opportunity to work out of power and training. Tim and Becky, they're the owners, they kind of just reached oh, out me okay. like, okay, I think you, we're doing the same thing here. We'd love to have you come over. And that for me was kind of a turning point too. I would say before I went there, it was, you know, like I said, working with the hitters the same way I was taught. And then when I went to power and training, they had a hit tracks machine, which is a game changer. And then mm-hmm. I had last motion. So looking at technology and seeing, okay, what I'm telling the kids, is it actually making a difference here? So a way of holding me accountable and holding the kids accountable to when we mm-hmm. make goals. So that was definitely a turning point for me going to power and training. And since then, it's just totally been awesome to work with kids from pretty much my hometown area. And getting more kids coming in and making personalized programs versus the kids coming in at the beginning when I started coaching. it was like, all right, I got like these 10 drills. Everybody will do the same drills. They'll get really good at it. And then they'll go in the game and not have too much success. So it was like totally rocking it in the cage and then not having so much success in games versus now it's like a totally different outlook on how we train people, which has been so much fun to get into. Mm-hmm.
0: That's awesome. Go Huskies, by the way. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I, I grew up in uh, Waterbury, Connecticut. So nice. I, yeah. I see on fullerhitting.com. I, I'm really liking the blog, by the way. The the fact you. that you have a Cal Polytechnic like, <laughs> peer-reviewed study from 1994 on random versus block training. Could you just go into your whole holistic approach, how you look at training an individual when they come into pit
1: this is probably what like i'm most passionate about too so Mm -hmm. when i was a player it was like all right i'm gonna work with a coach i want to go with somebody who's confident who knows their stuff and it would always be like the coach who would say like oh i got it figured out like you just do a couple (laughs) of these you'll be good and looking back it's like i should have been running out the door anybody who says they got hitting (laughs) figured out is somebody who just hasn't been down the rabbit holes that everybody else has because Mm -hmm. even though you know people see oh you have so many followers on instagram like i go back to the drawing board every single day so Mm -hmm. my goal just like any hitter or any player that wants to get better it's like i'm trying to get so much better every day and i think that's got to be individual instruction for each player every person moves differently every person interprets information differently and we got to have so many tools in the toolbox to be able to cater to what they're bringing into the cage. So I'll just take you guys kind of through the process. When a new player comes in, they want to start coming on a regular mm-hmm. basis. The first thing is definitely having a conversation with them, just saying like, all right, like why are you here? Obviously you want to get better. What's working? What's not working? What are you feeling? How is your game performance versus the cage? just kind of having that conversation with them, developing a little bit of rapport and a relationship. That's like the biggest thing rather than mm-hmm, taking yeah. a swing and saying like, your swing sucks, man. You need to do this, this, and that. That's never a good way to start a relationship. So conversation mm-hmm. first. And then I take them through like a physical assessment. I went to OnBaseU this past year. So we use their physical screen, which has been a game changer just in terms of, okay, I want every player to be able to scap load or get into their back hip. But if a player physically can't do that, then me telling them to do that is just a waste of time. So that's a great way to see how they can move and what they're good at and what we need to work on. So that's a conversation too with if they're working with a strength coach, I can kind of get mm-hmm. in contact with them and say like, all right, they need to work in this area. That would be a great thing for you guys to focus on at the gym along mm-hmm. with what you're doing. So conversation physical assessment and then it's collecting a lot of data and video work from them so i use Mm -hmm. blast motion hit tracks we have camera work i'm lucky enough to have a k vest now which has been awesome so that's just yeah i I saw that torso lead arm and then on your hand so you can see how your body is sequencing and unloading which is unbelievable so it kind of paints Mm -hmm. a full picture so that would be just like normal bp okay i want you to hit it on a line hit it hit it well and kind of see what they're doing. And then from there with all that information, physical assessment, bat and ball data, how they're moving, we're going to set some goals and create a swing design plan together. And one of the things I do is put the swing design on an Excel and Google Drive document so they can access it too. So before every lesson, we're going to go in and kind of set the intention for the day, what numbers okay. we want to hit, That's what we're great. working after, and then... Reassess every few weeks and see where we're at for getting closer to the goals we set. Yeah, I think that's huge.
0: Could you explain the K vest for the listeners?
1: Yeah, you got it. So the K vest is by K motion. So what it does is it measures the kinematic sequence within the person's body. So everybody talks about, like, okay, hands first. And then you look at K vest and we see through the graph how much energy is being transferred. So if hands go first, then the hips, the torso, the lead arm are really doing nothing. So Mm -hmm. ideally it's Mm -hmm. the hips go first, the torso second, the lead arm third, and then the hand and the bat go last. So it's a way to measure how a player is loading and unloading. And if they're in sequence, because the better we can get a player in sequence, the more time they have to make better swing decisions. And Mm -hmm. obviously the more efficient they're going to move. So more power as well.
2: Mm-hmm. That's awesome! Yeah, I've been reading a lot about K motion. I think it's really cool. I'm trying. I'm trying to get our <laughs> travel program set up with it right now. But uh yeah, so so tell me about like the certification you went through that and everything. Do you learn like all of these biomechanics steps? Like, and and like, what's the output like for for the K vest like on the computer?
1: Yeah, it, it's definitely in depth, and I'm still working through it all. So okay. it pretty much takes you through three different points in the swing. Mm-hmm. So The first point is going to be at heel strike. So that's when that front heel hits into the ground. So that's what I call the launch position. So where we are up into that point in the swing, then it's going to measure your first move. So that's when that front elbow starts to accelerate into contact. And then Mm -hmm. the last point it looks at is contact. And within those different frameworks, you're going to see, are you holding your posture? Like if your head is kind of coming out, of posture Mm -hmm. where your hips are if you're rotating too far too little so it's just like you can nitpick everything at different points in the swing Mm -hmm. which is pretty unbelievable and Mm -hmm. it's been again just learning that you learn so much too and i've been messing around with like throwing med balls okay like what med ball drills actually help sequencing
2: oh so you can use this with maybe other strength training as well and and
1: pick up the same data Exactly. So I've been working with our PT at power and training and we'll just go Mm -hmm. down and throw med balls. We'll do PVC work. And I mean, it's pretty eye opening to see like what you thought was helping, like if it actually Mm -hmm. does or not.
2: Wow. Oh, that that's awesome. I didn't think about it like that. I mean, obviously using it in as many different ways with functional strength training that that's huge because, you know, at, at the end of the day, you, you, you're trying to build an athlete here so that he can move you know correctly um, so to carry it over onto that side I think is really important um, you know I, I saw a lot of things on your Instagram page as well as like you know stuff that you work with the athletes before we, you even start swing you know like pre-swing um, yep. work can you tell us a little bit about you know typical
1: warm-up and, and pre-swing work you got it so Created the warm up with with our PT doctor Jeff at Power and Training, and it's pretty uh-huh. much just to get the heart rate going. Pretty much like do a lot of jumping jacks, a lot of skips, stuff like that, and mm-hmm. then it's a lot of mobility work mixed in. So each player mm-hmm. is going to have different targeted work. So after they do the on base U assessment, it's going to be okay. Their T spine is pretty tight. They're going to have targeted mobility work. Right after that, so trying to build up our deficiencies based on you know our physical limitations. And then after that, it's going to be a lot of PVC work. And again, a lot of the drills that we're going to use and the movements are going to be totally dependent on the athlete and what they need to work at. After using the PVC, I love doing med ball just to kind of get the engine running before we go into mm-hmm. swinging. And then I've been messing around with, you guys know like the um, the dog thrower things where you put like yes
0: yes yeah Yeah.
1: those have been awesome so i used to just throw pvc pipes so it'd be like okay i want you just to throw this pvc pipe and try and throw it in the center field and that kind of shows them like all right where am i positionally am i swinging down and the pvc pipe's Mm -hmm. going straight down am i hanging back too far and it's going straight up but kind of like the dog chuckers have been awesome just for them to have a visual of Okay, based on how I'm moving, it's on a line, or it's too high up, or it's going mm-hmm. straight down. So they start to make adjustments on their own. Those are those. Uh, I think they're line drive pro trainers. I think I've seen those. That one company does. Yeah, like that them. is awesome too. I love those. I haven't used it before, but I mean, it's the same idea of having that ball attached to the implement and then a yeah. contact point seeing where it's going.
2: Hmm. Yeah. No. I th- I think that's cool. Cause, yeah, cause like in, in college, I we did the throw bat too, just kind of feeling where your energy's moving towards, but
1: Yeah, different kind of spin on it. Right, yeah, exactly. And anytime we can have them see the result rather than us telling them what we want them to do, it's like money every time because they're going to have to self-organize and figure it out on the fly versus, okay, I want you to do this and now I want you to do that. And it kind of gets like the puppy eyes. They're always looking back to you versus kind of going through the problem-solving situation on their own.
0: Back to your pre-swing checklist for a second. I heard you say jumping jacks exercises like that. You you never really think about cardiovascular pre-training before hitting. Could could you talk about the benefits of of like cardio, like jumping jacks, how that improves uh, your approach at the plate?
1: Yeah, definitely. And a, a huge part of it that I've done some research on is just getting like the central nervous system fired up too. Ah, like everybody yeah. goes into mm-hmm. the cage and it's like, oh, warm-up swing. Like if you're going to swing, I want you ready to swing. So anytime you're going to take a swing in the cage or in the game, it's got to be locked in 100%. You're ready to go, not feeling through it. So yeah. just from that standpoint of doing like jumping jacks or skips or we'll do all these other movements to get us going, it's kind of like getting the mind and body. Mm-hmm. in the same framework for the day too. So kind of just getting them to understand when I'm swinging, I'm going a hundred percent. And if not, then I got to have this process in place before I swing to get things in motion.
0: That's great because cardio opens up channel ways in the brain. I think it fires off synapses too. It, it makes you
1: sharper exactly it's everything moving the proprioception which is pretty much just like my mind and my feel moving together so kind of a way to just get everything in check for the day that's great all right so uh, an area that i think you do a
2: really good job with going uh like what you're just saying there with on the feel side i think you bring a lot of really cool constraint drills feel drills to the table on on your instagram page and at least when when i was playing and now, when I've been coaching, I, I try to think of different field drills that can work for you know a certain type of player. So, um, can you tell me you know maybe like three of your favorite constraint drills and and what you think that offers uh, you know to the athlete, uh, adding some constraints stuff like that?
1: Yeah, I mean it's huge. Putting constraints on a player is how they're going to make changes. Anytime you kind of go in, put a bat in their hand and say, okay, I want you to do this. Usually they just revert back to what they know because the goal is always mm-hmm. to hit the ball. I mean, from a young age, it's always ingrained to a player like just make contact, just do that. So mm-hmm. in their head, they're always going to try to just put the ball in play. So sometimes getting the bat out of their hands is huge. And then other times creating constraints to accomplish the task that we want to work at is huge. And I would just say for like the coaches up there, there's no constraint library. There's no PVC library. A lot of the stuff that people are doing is like them just going to the cage early and messing around. And usually I always kind of have like a half hour before a session to kind of just go in and things that have been like going around in my mind, just trying things out. So like one instance today, one player, he was having a tough time getting into a good posture. And what I mean by that is kind of just like, guarding somebody in basketball where my chest is a little bit hunched over mm-hmm. my behind is a little bit out, good athletic posture. So we took a foam roller and he was just trying to balance on top of it because with the foam roller, if I stand too far up, I fall backwards. If I'm mm-hmm. too hunched over, I fall towards my feet. So mm-hmm. just putting him on there and saying, okay, find your balance. And then I want you to take like a dry swing right there. And it was kind of like, boom, like, okay, I got it. That's the, the feeling I need to have to maintain a good posture and balance through there. But other ones, I think I'm not a big person on like, ooh, this works for everybody. But I would say for the majority of hitters, one constraint is a halfway home drill. And this is just where they get into that launch position. So you've already strided out your front eel, heel hit. You're going to pull back into get all the slack out of the middle. Mm-hmm. And then you can't move until the ball's halfway to home. So it could be done with flips. It could be done throwing overhand. And you're going to see really quick how they're sequencing. If the hands push forward. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Can you guys see that cat in the background? (laughs) Hold on a sec. (laughs) Pussy cat's
0: going nuts.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, there we go. I got three at the house. So sorry about that. (laughs) No worries. I got two here. They're wild don't get that every podcast, (laughs) but halfway home, it's pretty much just going through and seeing how they're sequencing. Mm -hmm. So if the hands are pushing right away, you're going to see those hands push immediately. Or if they're in a good sequence, they're going to be able to hit it on a line pretty well. So that's a good one. And then in terms of like externally, I do a no ground ball, no pull round. So just in terms of swinging, they can't hit a ground ball and they can't pull it. So directionally, they start to feel like through the field mm-hmm. and kind of having that barrel stay on that plane for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So with that, that foam roll one you do, where's that place um, under the back foot? So they literally have to balance on it. So they go a little bit wider. So pretty much the ends of the foam roller.
2: Oh, you're using like a long roll. Okay. Yeah,
1: exactly. Okay. Yep, yeah, yeah, it's a longer one and I mean again this was just like me messing around with okay, how can they feel balance? How can they feel posture? Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, you do that with another kid and they look at you like what the hell is this? This doesn't work and you throw it out and then for that player it kind of works. So just again trying to see what sticks.
0: Now, does this support like I said earlier the the random versus block training how randomized is a lot harder. Like this foam roller exercise seems extremely difficult but beneficial for the player for like the long game
1: yeah and i mean i would say that for like the foam roller that would just be like a feel in mm-hmm. between rounds and then for mm-hmm. i mean i get fired up about like the random versus block because me as a player i never did random it was always block training so yeah, right. going through you do the same drill for eight okay you did that and then you go to the next one and you you do an eight so there's all these analogies you could do, but pretty much like in golf, if you take a hundred putts from the same distance, same spot, mm-hmm. you're really only practicing one rep. So everybody thinks like, Oh, I'm getting a hundred reps. And you really only practice one. Mm-hmm. So the random versus blocked is like incredible, especially with transfer. So everybody wants their cage work to transfer over in the game. Mm-hmm. But when you're doing block a block setting, it's really only one rep you're getting out of each set. So there's Trevor Reagan. I don't know if you guys have heard of him. He has, it's called the learner lab. It's awesome. Probably be a great thing if you guys have shown notes. So he go, just mm-hmm. goes over like, how do we best prepare athletes? And one of his analogies is there is a zoo tiger and a jungle tiger. So Stop. the zoo tiger, he's in a cage, so he's got safety. The trainers bring him food every day, they bring him water. So like outside looking in, it it seems like, man, he's got it made. He doesn't have to do anything for himself, but then he's let out into the wild. So the jungle tigers out there, that guy, he's watching over his back every day. If he's hungry, he's got to go get the food. If he wants water, he's got to go find it. So Mm -hmm. kind of equating that to baseball, like which guy is better prepared for game day? Okay. Or the jungle, the guy who's been in this like comfy little environment, where nothing's uncomfortable, or the one who's kind of had to have these jungle tiger reps every day. The kids are always, you know, so embarrassed when they swing and miss in the cage. And then it's like, dude, you swing and miss in games like all the time, like, why would we be in here? It, it just doesn't make any sense. And you see the kids who struggle in the cage, and they want to be challenged. And they're, everything they do has a purpose in there. And they don't care if they're having a tough time, then they go in the game, they rake, And then the kid who comes in and he's kind of like the cage baby in there. Mm -hmm. You know, he looks great. Everything looks good. And then he goes in the game and he stinks. And that totally is just random versus block training.
0: Dave and I grew up with a lot of uh, cage babies. (laughs) I've seen that everywhere. But yeah, it just makes sense. Making training harder so the game is easier. It's just like logical.
1: Totally, And like, why don't we think about that? You know, it's like when (laughs) I played, it Mm -hmm. was like I'd hit off the tee for an hour and I expected to be ready to hit sliders and hard fastballs Mm -hmm. in the game. There was nothing challenging about what I was doing. There was no goal. I wasn't getting any feedback and there was no, I would be uncomfortable if I didn't hit a line drive every time. And obviously Mm -hmm. that's not how it works.
2: So, you know, kind kind of along with this, uh, you know, A lot of these drills can, for, for instance, the foam roll, you're, you're trying to create a uh, better posture. You're trying to create this certain feel. And then I, I, we're hearing a lot of coaches talk, feel versus real. Is, is that a conversation you have with the players at some point? And, and can you talk a little bit about feel versus real?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So there are times where players, especially off the machine, where I'm saying like, okay, I feel like you're swinging down on it. I feel like you're hitting the top of the ball. Mm -hmm. just to get them to make better contact if they're missing underneath. And on the flip side, if there's going to be another player who's really swinging down, like, okay, I want you to try and hit the bottom part of the ball. So it really all depends. And you can't just be one way. If you're only one way as a coach, you're never going to meet all the players where there are and build them up. So at the very least, the conversation with the player is, okay, here's what actually happens. Okay, Mm -hmm. here's the attack angle we want you to have how we accomplish that and the cues we use are going to be totally different based on how we figure out what sticks with you. And -hmm. that's throwing a lot against the wall and seeing what sticks. So a lot of players, they think they're internal, like, okay, if I think about getting my elbow here and then they go in and they're terrible. And then you just say like, okay, I want you to hit a line drive over the shortstop's head. Boom. They do it right away. Mm -hmm. So The feel and what they think can be totally different. But I think as a coach, just the biggest thing for me is you got to figure out what works for the player. You can't be a coach, Mm -hmm. you know, okay, I'm the swing-down coach. I'm the guy who, on-plane coach, you got to figure out what works for each kid. Mm Because if you don't, you're only going to meet like 20% of the kids. And obviously, we want to do our best to give each player we work with the feels, the thoughts, the understanding that works for them.
2: Yeah, no, I, I think there is, in, in college, like a lot of the hitters on our, our team were, you know, they, everybody thinks something different and defining that connection between the thought process and the result is, is so hard, but I mean, on, on the side of individual training here, you, you know, you can work so much more closely with them to, to identify, you know, what is sticking, what's not sticking. So I, I think that's huge. Um, but yeah, so Um, my next question actually would be, uh, your, your line drive handbook. Is that kind of like, I mean, I'm not sure how long ago, you you know, you made this, but is, is that kind of how you came up with your, your overall program? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the handbook?
1: Yeah, the line drive handbook, I made probably like a year and a half now. And I had it with a player in mind who's, you know, middle school, high school kid, who normally they go to the cage and they hit off the tee for 45 minutes and then dad flips to them for 15 minutes and then they walk out Mm -hmm. so giving them kind of like a plan and some options when they go to the cage so in there there's i think six constraints on there there's drills to do off of flips and -hmm. then it talks about timing hitting off the machine and facing live pitching too And it kind of gives them a framework of just, okay, pick out three of these drills, do them for this many reps, and then kind of adjust it to what you feel is good for you. So I definitely wouldn't say it's anything, you know, too high level, but for Mm -hmm. the player who wants to start to develop their own process and have some tools in their tool bag, it's definitely a great place to start. And I pick and choose from it too. Like I said, there's never going to be a perfect drill for everybody, but being able Mm -hmm. to have a few constraints in there that you really believe in some drills that you've seen help different parts of the swing, whether it be, you know, swing direction or getting into a good launch, launch position, separation. There's some targeted ones in there for the deficiencies of each hitter. So Mm -hmm. for the young hitters going in, trying to make a plan, it's definitely a pretty good investment on there. But again, we have social media too, where we could go on Twitter we can go on Instagram and we can find those drills, but it's kind of a one place shop for everything on there that you need to kind of make a plan to get better over the off season or during the year.
2: Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um, I, I know we talked a little bit about this before, um, but functional strength stuff, I know you're incorporating that with the K-motion now, uh, the K-vests. Um, what are some, some you know, What are some of your favorite functional strength training things you're doing with, you know, med balls and stuff like that to help build efficient movement patterns? You know, have the athlete feel confident when they're when they're then picking up a bat.
1: Yeah, and this goes back to the the physical assessment at the beginning. So for the past few months, it's been a lot of assessments with hitters who come in and me just learning like what they can do and what they can't do. And I would say for the vast majority of high school players. They have really weak ankle mobility and stability, and just uh-huh. in terms of single leg mobility and stability, stability especially, it's really bad. Mm-hmm. So the, you think about this: the kids who say, "Okay, you know, I'm going to have a big leg kick like Hobby Bias," <laughs> you know, all right, let's try it out. And if you can do it, that's awesome. Let's continue. But then you go through the assessment and you see that man, their ankles are not stable at all. Their legs, they can't stabilize. So it's like that movement is not going to work with what your body can do. So in terms of Mm -hmm. like picking exercises, we do a ton of like skater hops, just the ones where you jump as far as you can, bound out, Um, try and land softly on one leg has been awesome. The single leg RDLs Mm -hmm. and then single leg Bulgarian split squats. So looking at it instead of like, okay, I'm going to just do a ton of squats. I mean, think about it when you're on the field, how often are you making a move off of both feet at the same time? hardly ever. Mm-hmm. So doing a lot of single leg work has been something that I've been a big fan of lately.
0: Why do you think kids these days, their ankles are weak? Because I'm I'm sure they're multi-sport athletes, some of them at least.
1: Yeah. Awesome question. The cleats? Yeah, it could be cleats. <laughs> uh, you definitely do all the assessments with shoes on. But I think it's one part of training that just totally gets overlooked. Mm -hmm. And if you look at kind of the skeletal chain, so the body, you start with stable parts of the body, stable joints and the ankle. So a stable joint just moves in one plane. So think about like your ACL, you wouldn't want it to be moving side to side. It really is just front and back. Mm -hmm. So if there's an imbalance in the body, you go back to the part of the body where there's a problem. And usually right at the bottom of the chain. So if the ankle... Isn't stable. We're going to have different compensations up the chain as well. So that's been a huge part, just understanding like anatomy right there. Like, okay, you right. have a problem in the knee. That's going to cause a compensation in the hip and on up the chain too.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I think. I mean, what's coming into my head right now is again how important it is to maybe have um, someone. You know, like your your PT guy, like a part of your team, like me and Quinn have talked with, you know, fielding professionals, some hitting professionals, pitching professionals, like having these physical screens a part of the mix. Like how, how important is that, would you say, to to the overall plan? Because it, it just seems like an ongoing trend. Like if we know how they move, we can create a plan, collect data,
1: and approve upon it. Like, you know, how, how big it, is that? It's huge. And I, I think there's times where – Even me as a hitting coach, it's like, holy crap, do I need to be like everything? Do I need to be the PT? Do I need to be the strength coach? And the answer is no. Like you have to have a team around you. And not only for the players, but for you to learn more about it as well. I mean, it's been like a game changer being able to have the ear and time of a PT and to be, you know, thinking like, okay, this drill, I wanted to accomplish that. Do you think it's actually going to do that? But from a player's perspective too, being on the same page as the PT, being on the same page as their strength coach. So everybody's working together rather than you guys know how it is when you would go from one coach to another. Each one's telling you inf- different information. So if we could get this process streamlined where everybody's working on the same page, it's going to benefit the player tremendously.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So I got one more question for you before we hop into our, our quick pitch uh, segment here. But going through the, the, the development process with with an athlete. What times are, are you talking about the mental game? Um, you know, what types of conversations are those? Is it is it more so in the beginning when you're identifying what kind of what kind of hitter they are, what kind of player they are, or or you know, throughout when they when they get challenged a little bit more? You know, is is that when you're having mental game talks? Can can you maybe uh, tell us about an example with with an athlete?
0: Good question, Dave.
1: Yeah. No, it's awesome. So this is one part that it's kind of become like number one, in my opinion of what I'm doing, Mm -hmm. like, everything starts in the mind, Mm -hmm. like the mind, we see things, it goes into our mind. And then based off of how we interpret that information, that's how we move. So like I talked about with the jungle tiger, getting kids to understand, like, the way we've been taught to practice is totally wrong. And then we kind of go over what deliberate practice is. And that's pretty much just, okay, let's establish the goal for this. So we're not just wasting time when we're in here. Let's get your feedback as you go through. So you can kind of bounce around of like, okay, I'm getting closer. I'm a little bit far away Mm -hmm. and everything we do, it should be kind of on that edge of being uncomfortable, but also at the same time, we're totally locked in and -hmm. in the moment. So there will be times in between just two different reps where it will be like, all right, what were you focused on right there? Was the intention set? Did you have the right approach? Because you'll see as you go through, and if there's a certain round, if you're only working, hitting the oppo gap, and then they're pulling, 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 okay, you're making poor swing decisions, which is going to translate in the game of you swinging at bad pitches, not sticking with your approach. What was going through your head right there? So Mm -hmm. having those moments to stop because it's really tough when they're in the cage, they kind of get in just to that swing mode. Like, all right, I have eight reps. I'm going to swing, boom, boom, boom. Like, okay, we're going to do eight reps, but let's stop in between each one. Mm -hmm. Going over our breathing, which is a huge part of it as well. So the mental part, I think you have to be sprinkling it in at any opportunity you can and getting them to understand, like, all right, this is supposed to be challenging. We're hitting a round ball with a round bat. This isn't supposed to be easy. We need to train at that level. So when we get into the game, we're ready for it. Makes sense. All
0: right. So we're going to delve into our quick pitch questions. This is a little more lighter topic.
2: I try to keep it a little funner here. Yeah. It's funner. No, I way. mean more fun. Jeez. Yep. <laughs>
0: I'm having fun, but this'll be more fun. Uh what's your favorite baseball movie?
1: Favorite baseball movie? It's gotta be Bull Durham. I mean Kevin Costner yep. in that movie it's kinda like the player that I'd really respect. Just kinda like the pro who does what he's told, does his best while he's there and just has a good time doing it,
2: right? Bull Durham's a great one. My roommate's college; he was his favorite. He watched it all the time. So I was there. We go. I not get old.
0: Costner's probably the best baseball actor of all time. I yeah, his
1: swings good. He throws it pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: What's the biggest lesson baseball has taught you throughout the years? You know, going from JUCO to college, then coaching in college, and then coaching these kids. What What do you think? uh, has resonated with you the most with baseball?
1: It's an awesome question. Uh, I would say wherever you are, we all have like end goals of where we want to be. But if you want to get there, just do your best with where you're at. Like everybody, when I was at junior college, all I thought about was playing D1. And then when I was playing D1, all I wanted to do was play pro ball. And I wonder how much better I could have been if I just totally locked in, like, okay, here I am. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I don't know why I'm here. But I'm just going to totally lock it in and give my absolute best to it. And I think that's one of the things with coaching. Mm -hmm. I really don't have like an end goal. I just know that I want to get like 1% better every day, kind of that compound effect. So don't worry about where you're going. Control what you can, work incredibly hard, and you're going to go where you want to in the end.
0: You went to JUCO, obviously, a UConn satellite campus, right? Point. You made it to the NJCAA. World Series, you played in the national championship game. You were obviously very active early on, like as whereas uh, maybe if you went to a D1 school, you wouldn't have seen uh, as much playing time. Would you, no doubt about it, looking back at it, do you think that experience helped you more rather than maybe going to UConn starting out and then playing maybe 15 games opposed to 40 plus at junior college?
1: Absolutely. And I mean, at the time, it was like, I was pretty devastated, to be honest, when you go to junior college. <laughs> right. It was all my friends are going there, you know, they're getting this gear and there it's like, we pay for everything. If we want gear, we got to get it on our own. Mm-hmm. We're practicing for absurd amount of times. But if I went to UConn, I would have lasted maybe a week. Uh, physically, I wasn't ready. Mentally, I wasn't ready. So even my first year at junior college, I hit like 250. It was like my worst year ever. And then that sophomore year, it was kind of what I was just talking about. It was like, all right, you know what? If I never played D1, I'm going to have just fun this year. I'm going to work really hard. I ended up going to the gym like twice a day, just totally committing to my development. And that year, I would say, from my freshman year at junior college to my sophomore year, it was by far the one-year period that I grew the most as a player. So when I got to UConn, it was kind of just like, all right, I'll just keep doing what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And it was a pretty seamless transition versus – just too immature physically not ready coming out of high school so mm-hmm. people don't worry about if you're going to junior college don't worry about you're going d3 like you're going to get better if you commit to the process and i'm mm-hmm. sure
0: you're preaching that at the pit too when these kids are all anxious about you know becoming a husky or something.
1: <laughs> exactly and i mean it's always the same we think like, oh, kids these days are so much different or kids back then. It's like everybody wants to have, like, the notoriety, especially with social media today. They want to do, like, so blessed to be going to <laughs> Vanderbilt University. Everyone yeah. makes but, a big deal, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's going to happen if it's supposed to happen. And if you work hard at it, it's going to happen. I love right. that.
0: So if I was a high school baseball coach probably doing block training, uh, we've got a 500 record. What's the best advice, I guess, that you could give me uh, trying to better my program?
1: Better yourself, I would say. I mean, that's the biggest thing. Like when you go home, it can't be shutting down. It's got to be, all right, what book am I going to read? All right, what podcast am I going to listen to? What are the good resources out there that I can learn from? I mean, just listening to podcasts like you guys and other ones out there, you're going to get so much free information yep. from like the best minds in the world on baseball. And they give away their secrets too, which is pretty awesome practice, design, drills, they really like. Yep. So, especially at the high school level, one little thing can make such a big difference because there's a lot of high school coaches who do it the right way. But then there are the high school coaches too, where, you know, they're the math teacher mm-hmm. and they're just trying to collect a paycheck. But it's like these kids love baseball they're dying to get better Mm -hmm. and when you give them the right information they're going to buy in so much more so i would just say in your free time really commit to getting better and it's like that compound effect one percent better the kids are going to see that you're putting work in they're going to see that you're trying new things so when they come to the park they're going to be engaged they're not doing the same practice over and over again and it's just kind of like the idea of a rising tide raises all ships like you do a little bit better, everybody else is going to be elevated as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, actions speak a lot louder than words. I, I love the 1% thing. You know, as a, as a business, that's been our kind of goal uh, every day. It's just when we do something, next time we do it, be 1% better at it. Um, so, I, yeah, I absolutely love that mentality.
0: CoachGrates.com everybody. Coachcrates.com.
2: <laughs> uh Ryan, where can uh people find more info about you? Yeah, I know we got FullerHitting.com. Uh you want to tell them maybe a little bit about Pitt, other places they can they look look up more stuff?
1: Yeah, so I'm at Power and Training. You can look that up on Instagram, all my other stuff, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, website. It's just Fuller Hitting, so really easy. I do my best to get back to anybody who reaches out and uh, I'm always looking to learn more too. So it's awesome to talk hitting with anybody out there. Awesome. Awesome.
2: Thanks so much, Ryan. Uh, I mean, I I feel like we could talk for another hour. I'm probably going to have (laughs) to, I feel like I got to pick your brain another time, but uh, it's, it's been a blast. Appreciate you sharing a a lot of good stuff on here. Um, I hope coaches out there had had their pens and and paper out writing some stuff down. Um, But yeah, thanks so much, Ryan. It's been great. thank you guys for having me, it was awesome thanks Ryan thanks for listening to Dugout Therapy, this is your host Dave Wodzis. me and Quinn just had a great episode with uh, our our guy over at Fuller Hitting, Ryan Fuller, super great guest, had just so much to uh, express about hitting has a lot of good constraint drills, he does Just his approach with How he brings his athletes into his uh, facility is just great. Probably could have talked for another two hours. Hope you guys enjoyed. Please give us a review on iTunes. Whatever you think, we want to hear from you, get your feedback. We appreciate you listening, um, and hope you tune in again. Thank you.